Welcome to the August 9th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, and the sermon is entitled, He Must Increase, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We gather here today, moving forward as a church, moving forward in His Word, and we're taking one more step forward in our study through the Gospel of John. So take your Bible, turn with me, open it, put it on your lap. We're in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. We're moving one step forward in this study, and I'm enjoying this journey. I am studying hard. I'm learning a lot, and I'm getting good feedback from our congregation that you're learning as well and enjoying this journey through the Gospels. Thus far, as I give you a little thumbnail sketch of where we've been, thus far we've studied chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is called the prologue of the Gospel. It also has been called the Gospel in miniature. If you memorize the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, you can lead any person in the world to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then also we have taken a close look at the ministry of John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness, calling attention to the Son of God who is going to follow after him. Still further along in chapter 1, we see Jesus calling Philip and Nathanael as his disciples. Then in chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle, was, was the turning of water into wine at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. Shortly thereafter, he cleanses the temple of salesmen and money changers, saying, this house is to be the house of prayer, the house of God, not a house of sales. And so he cleanses the temple. We see a whole side of Jesus and his righteous anger in these moments. Jesus' public ministry is now getting traction. Jesus' ministry is getting attention, especially after the cleansing of the temple. The water to wine was a very quiet miracle. But the cleansing of the temple was certainly very public. In fact, two camps of people are developing now in this early part of Jesus' ministry. There is a camp of people who love him, and there is a camp of people who hate him, who want him off of the earth. As we open chapter 3, we hear this conversation with Nicodemus and Nicodemus is taking in Jesus' words. And of course, we know the, one of the greatest verses of the Bible, the most memorized verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Nicodemus takes that in. And I truly believe that there is a heart change in Nicodemus as he takes in the word of God because in chapter 19, we see Nicodemus show up again to take Jesus off of the cross. A believer in the word of God. Today we're going to study John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. Now this passage brings us back to the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember that he is the preacher in the wilderness. All of his ministry, all of his preaching really has a pointed message. Number one, one point of the message is that all of us sin and all of us need to be sorry for our sin before God. We need to have a repentant heart. And John baptized people, not in salvation, but in repentance. His was a water baptism of people who were sorry for their sin. And yet then, the second part of his message is, you're sorry for your sin, and one who is coming after me, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is coming after me is going to be able to forgive you of your sin. I can't forgive you because I'm not the Savior, but one is coming after me whose shoes I am not worthy to untie. But he will be able to forgive you of your sin. 
Now, let me set a time frame here in John chapter 3. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness, in the desert, and he convicted people, he convinced people of their need to be forgiven because they were sinners. We still need to preach repentance. Amen? You know, my wife says, and I'm sure she's listening this morning from Maryland, but my wife has said that repentance is not used enough in the ministry of the church. We need to preach the truth that we sin and fall short of the glory of God, and we need to be sorry for our sin. No one can be saved until they're sorry for that which they have done as an affront and a sin and a wickedness against God Almighty. So John the Baptist baptized in water as a sign of that repentance. His message and his ministry irritated the Jewish leaders. In fact, it irritated them to the point that they wanted to get rid of him as well. Eventually, the plan developed that they did get rid of him. He was arrested and he was beheaded as a preacher of repentance and a preacher pointing to Jesus. We see that take place in Matthew chapter 14. But before John the Baptist was arrested and before he was killed as a martyr of the faith, his ministry of preaching repentance began to overlap with Jesus' preaching of salvation. So John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness, and he's preaching repentance, and he's preaching sorrow for sin. And in another location, Jesus the Christ is now rising up, and he is preaching salvation through the truth of God Almighty and the forgiveness that can only come by the hand of God. So these two ministers are preaching in separate locations, but their, their ministry is overlapping here for a little bit of time. I want you to remember that both of them had developed their own team of disciples, their own team of followers. John the Baptist had disciples, Jesus developing a team of disciples as well. So what we see here then is the development of the two ministries and what happened. So let's read John chapter 3, go to verse 22. Hear these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. One of my favorite verses of the Bible. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And, from, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. 
He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So here we see John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ, and they're doing ministry together. Their ministries are overlapping. I want you to remember again, they both had their own team of disciples, their own team of followers. So a question arises now between some of John the Baptist's followers and some Jewish believers. Look at verse 25 again, chapter 3, verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Now, I think this question really was comparing John's ministry of baptism, John the Baptist's ministry of baptism, to the Old Testament law of purification. They were comparing the two. How does John the Baptist's purity of baptism stack up against the Old Testament law of purifying? And we see that law in Leviticus chapters 12 through 15. But then it leads to John the Baptist's disciples comparing John's ministry with Jesus' ministry. Both of these men, John the Baptist and Jesus, are preaching. As it says in Scripture right here, both of them are baptizing. Both of them have their own converts, their own followers. And basically, John the Baptist's disciples say, John, we're we're following you. We're supporting you. We're encouraging you. We love your ministry, but, but Jesus' ministry is eclipsing your ministry. Jesus' ministry is growing past your ministry. He's gathering more followers than you're gathering. We're falling behind. We're worried, John, about your diminishing popularity. And I can only imagine that as the disciples of John the Baptist are speaking those words to him, that a smile kind of creeps across his face. His disciples don't understand yet. But that is exactly what's supposed to happen. Jesus' ministry is to completely overshadow and eclipse John the Baptist's ministry. He's Lord of all. He's going to take over the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is just a servant of God. But Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus bears the truth of God. Jesus is the Master. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the one who can forgive the sin that John the Baptist pointed out and said, be sorry for your sin. Well, the one has come who can forgive your sin now. So John the Baptist's ministry is now being overshadowed as they are overlapping by Jesus' own ministry. And I love the way John the Baptist describes what's happening. And he's describing this transition of his ministry going on to Jesus' ministry. Look again, John chapter 3, go to verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I have said, I am not the Christ but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, 
therefore, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, and I must decrease. Think about those words. John tells his disciples, I told you long ago, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Christ. I'm nothing more than a messenger to point to the Christ. It is not important that anybody knows my name. It's not important that anybody knows who I am. All I am is a voice that is crying out in the wilderness that the Savior is coming, who is following after me. John gives a great example using a wedding of his day. Now, a wedding in our culture today, when we have a wedding today in these days, it is all about the bride. She is the centerpiece. I have told many a groom, on rehearsal night when we get together, I tell the groom, all you got to do tomorrow is show up, you stand in the right place, and you say the right thing with your heart, and you're going to get married. But ain't nobody looking at you, boy. It's all about her. All the eyes of the sanctuary are going to be on her. You're an accessory to this marriage. And he gets a little laugh, but it's pretty true. It's all about her. But in John's day, the wedding revolved around the bridegroom. The wedding revolved around the husband's entrance. And so in John's disciple, he said, in John's example, he, he describes, when you're at a wedding in my day, the best man, the best friend of the groom might stand up and get everybody's attention and say, okay, everybody, sit down, quiet down, settle down. It's not going to be long until that door is going to open and the bridegroom is going to step through that door. And so the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, is the one who gets everybody's attention, gets everybody settled down, and everybody to focus their attention on that door, because when that door opens, the important one of the wedding, the bridegroom, is going to walk into the room. And when the appointed moment comes, the door swings open, and the future husband walks into the room, and all the eyes are on him and off of the best man, and he slips off into the shadows because his job is done. He's called the attention to everybody to focus on that door, wait for the bridegroom to come. But when that door opens and the bridegroom gets the attention of all the people, the best man can just slip off in the corner because he has done. He's done his job. Nobody knows where he goes now because everybody's looking at the bridegroom. He is now the commanding presence in the room. So John the Baptist says, my job, my job is like the best man. All of my ministry has been to point to Jesus, point to the Savior, point to the Lamb. Call people's attention to the Lamb of God. I call people to the attention that they're sinners, that they need to be saved, as I'm a sinner and need to be saved. I've baptized a baptism of repentance and sorrow. But all of my ministry has been pointing to the door for the bridegroom to come in. And he's here. And everything belongs to him now. My job is about done, as I've called attention to him. I've preached the coming of the Savior. The door has swung open, and here he is. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he brings the good news of heaven and forgiveness and purpose and eternal life for every life. And so John says, my joy is being fulfilled because I have completed my job. 
I've called attention to the bridegroom, and he is here. And I love what he says. He must increase, and I must decrease. I'm the best man now that slips off in the shadows as he takes over. I step aside as the best man. My preaching message is now fulfilled. The bridegroom has come in the door. He is the centerpiece. He commands the attention. I love John's humility in this. He knows when it's time to step aside. He knows when it's time to give his ministry over to Jesus the Christ. And listen, this is still the goal for you and me. This is still the goal for our church. When our day comes on earth that we leave here, when our day comes, believer, that we're done with this earth, we've breathed our last breath of earthly air, our legacy is not about who we were. Our legacy is not about how much money we made or how much fame we had acquired in the world, or how many articles had been written about us in the newspaper. When we leave this earth, it's not about us. As believers, our legacy is what we have left behind as a witness for Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the key to our life. That was the key to John the Baptist's life. He said, I'm ready to slip off in the shadows. I don't care that anybody knows my name. I'm nothing more than a voice crying in the wilderness. But my legacy is that I pointed to the Savior coming through the door. And that's our legacy, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a teenager today, know that's your legacy and live your life in that legacy. If you're drawing toward the more the end of the road, make that our legacy, ladies and gentlemen that we are leaving that witness for Jesus Christ as our life's work. He must increase, and I must decrease. For me, that's a good tombstone statement. It can be on mine, and I'd be happy about that. In verses 31 through 36, John the Baptist continues on about the great Savior that he pointed to. And what he's telling us here in these verses is that Jesus is not a witness of God. Jesus is not a representative of God. Jesus is not a, a, a prophet of God, but rather Jesus is God. He came from heaven itself to bring us the good news of forgiveness and eternal life. He is above all in command and in power. His testimony and his life and his preaching its the actual word of God. It's the actual truth of God. When you hear the word from Jesus' mouth, you are hearing the Word of God. Undiluted, you're hearing God's Word. And that is still true when you see Jesus' words in this book, the holy book of God, His Bible. These are undiluted truths of God. And especially when you see those words, verily, verily, you underline those words. That is truth of God we need to hear. Look at verse 34. John three thirty-four. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That's an important statement. God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. When God sent his Son, Jesus. Now, we believe there is one God. We believe what it tells us in Deuteronomy 6, that there is one God. 
one holy God, but he expresses his holiness to us in the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The expression of one God in three persons. Amen? Amen. We are Trinitarian. We believe that. This is a statement of the trinity right here in verse 34. He came to us as fully man. He came to us as fully God. But the last statement of verse 34 says, God did not limit the measure of his spirit that was poured upon his son when he lived among us. That's a statement about the Trinity. God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Spirit was fully on God the Son. Jesus was fully completely and without equal, God Almighty walking on the soil of this earth, taking on flesh, incarnate, to walk among us as God Almighty. And yet, listen, Jesus also willingly became fully man. Now, that's hard for us to logically understand, but it is absolutely the truth of God. He was fully God, and he was also fully man. He endured the pains and the struggles and the weariness of this world and this life of humanity. Scripture teaches us that he did get weary. He did get sleepy. He slept in a boat in a storm. He must have been sleepy. If you can sleep in a boat in a storm, you're sleepy. You're tired. Jesus humanly got tired. He endured pain. When Jesus went to the cross, he was indeed fully God. And yet he experienced the cross as fully man. When they pressed the crown of thorns on his head, he shed human blood. He felt human pain. The spikes in his hands and his feet produced agonizing, searing pain because he was fully man as well as fully God. His emotions and his spirit were beaten and battered by those who cursed him and spat on him and hit him in the face. He felt that pain. He felt not only the physical pain, but he felt the emotional pain of hatred in his life. He felt the awful pain of being despised. You know, you and I, we have had moments in our life where we've been shunned or we've been disliked. Maybe there was a moment that you can think back in your life where somebody said, I hate you. Maybe you can think about that. But nobody has been despised and hated like Jesus has been despised. Fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men. No one has been more despised than our Savior. And the truth of the matter is, this unsaved world despises him today. This unsaved world hates his truth today because his truth is abrasive against what culture is developing in these days. So he is still despised by so many this day. The truth is God himself was among us, and he was clothed in human flesh. Why? Ultimately, so he could go to the cross to save us. I remember as a teenager singing in a cantata, and one of the songs was, He was born to die. We've sung it here as well. He was born to die. He came in flesh to live that life as the Lamb of God so he could literally, humanly go to the cross and take my place and take your place as a human being. Look at John 3.35. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. 
You know, we often think about how much God loves us. Don't you think about that? When you pray daily, don't you pray, God, thank you for how you love me. If you don't pray that, you need to pray that. God, thank you for how you love me. Because his love is out of the bounds of regular love. He, he loves us despite us. He loves me despite my sin. He loves me. He loves you in the same way. He loves the, the lo- most lost sinner in the world. He loves that person. He loves the one who despises him the most. He loves that person. It's a love that we can hardly wrap our mind around. But this verse says that kind of love begins in the heart of God. That kind of love began in the way God loved himself in the Trinity. It's an outgrowth of his love within the Trinity. Within the Trinity, Scripture tells us that God loved and entrusted our salvation to his Son. God the Father loved God the Son so much that he entrusted our forgiveness to him. A love inside of the Trinity And God expressed that love to us in that he himself went to the cross that we might have life. It's a love that's so incomprehensible, and yet we know it's so true. It's consuming for you and me. It challenges our human mind that God, the creator of the universe, literally died for me. And you. You who are streaming for the world. He died for us. And yet... While it's so hard for us to get our minds around that, God gives us a little verse that a child memorizes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And you know this verse. God is love. One of the first verses that a child memorizes. God is love. It is his essence. It is what God is about. God is love expressed to us. And finally, I want you to circle this last verse, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's the truth of God's word. That's the truth that we can't water down. That's the truth that we can't point to another direction. You believe in Jesus, you're saved. You don't know Jesus as Savior, you're not. It's that simple. Amen? It's that simple. It's what the verse says. So if you're a believer in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have a living, growing relationship with Him this day, then your eternal life does not begin the moment you die here on this earth. Your eternal life began the moment that you said yes to Him as your Lord and your Savior. When we come to the end of this earthly human road, we're simply going to change address for all eternity. But you as a believer and I as a believer today, we are living eternal life right now. The Spirit of God lives in us, and the eternity of God is already in place in us. Now, some of us, maybe all of us, will have to walk some rocky roads before we get to the end of this road, but the Spirit of God 
strengthens us, encourages us, leads us, helps us, heals us, and eternal life is already in effect in your life and mine. I heard Adrian Rogers say once upon a time years ago that if God has something for you to do on this earth and you commit your life to doing that thing, whatever that thing might be, you will live eternal life on this earth until you get it completed. You will not leave here until you get it completed. Eternal life is already ours. We just change address one day. Death is nothing more than moving day. It's a continuation of what we already have. You know, I heard a little story years ago. I've told it a time or two. You might remember it. About a little girl who spent the night with one of her little friends. And bedtime came, and the two little girls went to bed. And Mama stuck her head in the door to see the two little girls in bed, and the little visitor girl was crying. And she was upset. And so Mama snuck up beside her and said, Honey... Are you homesick? And she said, no, ma'am, I'm here sick. I want to tell you this as a personal testimony. Maybe some of you identify with me here, but this is me personally. We look at this sorry, fighting, criticizing, protesting, whining, backbiting world. We look at everything we're living in right now, and I can't speak a word for you, but I can tell you sometimes I just get plain old here sick. Angry people, protesting people, people who want to be mad rather than forgive, people who would rather criticize the church than come in and be a part of the ministry. Sometimes it grieves me so bad I just get here sick. And yet, every morning I wake up, Jesus says, this is your day to serve me. This is a day, this is a gift that I'm giving you to serve me. Yes, you're probably grieved by what you're seeing, but don't slow up. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Don't water down the word. Don't compromise your witness for me and the world. Yes, this old world will make you grieve. Thinking back to old Jeremiah, I preached 40 years, never one person following the word of God, not one. <laughs> Can you imagine his grief? Can you imagine how sick he got? Well, we all, I believe, when we look at this world, in some form or fashion, we get sick. But never let that take away from your witness, your positive witness in this world for Jesus Christ. We are Desperately needed to witness for him in this world. Don't compromise the message. Don't hide the message. Don't hide the witness. Don't hide your responsibility to serve him and love him and give your life to him. It is a privilege. It is an honor every morning that we wake up because he has given us that day that we can serve the king. Stand strong, church. Stand strong. In these days, stand strong. I don't think any of us have ever seen the church affected in the way that it is right now. Stand strong, church. Don't be scared. Be protective. Be cautious. But don't be scared. Serve Him. Live for Him. Give your life to Him. 
surrender to following Jesus every day because that's what our life is truly all about. But look at the second part of verse 36. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you don't know Jesus today, here in this sanctuary or listening by streaming, maybe out in the parking lot, or maybe one day on down the road of time, you'll hear this sermon by podcast or on the internet somewhere. This is your moment. If you've never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, never given your heart to Him, never stepped out for Him, He wants you as His son or daughter. You know, the Word tells us that the wrath of God rests on those who reject Him. Don't reject Him. Don't neglect Him as God's Son any longer. Every day you open your eyes, He's calling you to grace. He's calling you to life. That old word that we heard from the 1800s, He's wooing you, He's pulling you, He's asking you, He's inviting you, He's reaching to you. Come to me. Every day that you wake up, if you're not a believer, His hands are reaching to you. His invitation is available to you. He doesn't want to put His wrath on you. He doesn't want you to be in hell. The Bible says that in several places. God does not desire for anyone to be in hell. He wants you as a son or daughter. If you've never come to Him, He's ready to receive you this day. Every day is an invitation. And today, this moment... Maybe this is the culmination, the pinnacle of everything he's been telling you in days past. Today's the day. If you're here in the sanctuary, you can come. If you're by a TV or a a computer today, kneel where you are and say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you need him, just accept that gift of forgiveness because it's already been purchased, it's already been paid for on the old rugged cross. The Son of God died that you and I might be forgiven and saved. And your name today will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you will have eternity with Him. Believers, today, in this day, in this age, will we stand up and say, Lord, no matter what the day might bring, no matter what might happen in my culture, my society, I'm going to witness, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to be courageous for you. Rededicate your life to that as I rededicate mine. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments, Lord, that you have challenged me through the week with this sermon. Father, thank you that each one of us kind of plays the role of John the Baptist. We point to you. It doesn't matter that anybody knows our name. It doesn't matter. Anybody knows the church name here. But we're to point to Jesus. We're to bring people to Jesus the Christ. We want you, Lord, to walk through the door. We want people to honor you. We want people to know you as Savior. Because you're the one who's all important. You're the one that the universe revolves around. I pray, God, today for my brothers and sisters here listening by streaming, out in a parking lot, wherever they might be, Lord, maybe eventually listening on a podcast. Help us as believers to stand strong in this day and in this age. Help us, Lord, to not water down or compromise 
our desire to point to you, call attention to you, and be your witness and your servant in this world. Help us to rededicate our lives today. And if there's one among us, Lord, wherever they might be who's never come to Jesus as Savior, he or she today can come before the old rugged cross and say, Lord, every drop of blood was shed for me. When that tomb was empty, you rose for me. I want to accept you as my Savior today. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these very important and precious moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.